0: we always need to be reminded of the truths of God's Word. And we're going to be addressing that as we continue through uh, John's letters. Uh, and we're, we're roughly halfway through 1 John uh, now. And, and as we look into this passage, uh, we see that he's giving us these warnings about truth and lies. And we need to be reminded that there are people out there that will lie to us, that will try to deceive us. We need to be on guard against them. And as we look at this passage from from 1 John uh, chapter uh, 2, we find in his very opening statement of verse 18, he says, children, it is the last hour. And if we just stop right there with This statement, it is the last hour. We are so accustomed to hearing people talk about the end times, the the last days. Uh, And and when we think of terms like that, you know, the, the last days, the end times, the end is near, the last hour. What are some things that come to your mind that are often associated with those terms? What are some thoughts? Tribulation. Cheryl. What's that? Jesus' return. Okay. Anything else? Charlatans. Charlatans. Yeah, we're going to get there. (laughs) Good. Anything else? Judgment. We're taking a darker turn here. Right? Um, So often... We associate these, I mean, we may associate it with these charlatans. We may associate it with maybe people that sometimes are viewed by the world as out of touch wackos that are standing on the street corner with this placard, the end is near, the end is near. And yet, you know, we usually associate these terms with thinking about the Lord's return or how society is getting worse as we approach the day of the Lord's return and approach the tribulation period, the judgment that is coming, etc. And as we think about John writing to us, John is certainly an expert on the end times. He wrote the book of Revelation. Right? Whether he wrote it before or after this epistle, I don't know. But John was one of the closest associates of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Knew very well what Jesus said about the end times. He was a student of the scriptures. He knew what the Old Testament said about it. So we can trust what John tells us, being an expert, and he tells us here, it is the last hour. And the question is, what does he mean by the last hour? I mean, we talk about you know, the end times as this you know, expansive period, the last days, but day as compared to hour, what's the implication that we might get there? Even sooner than expected, right? Uh, so what are we to do with regards to what he says in these opening verses? Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So he makes an interesting statement there. God has told us in his word that we should expect the Antichrist as the day approaches, and he says, we have already seen many Antichrists, Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Now, this was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And if it was true 2,000 years ago that it is the last hour, what are we facing now? The last second? (laughs) You know, as we make this comparison, but let's, Kind of take a look at what what John may have been thinking as as he wrote that statement. Children, it is the last hour. By the way, I want to remind you of something, even in the way he writes this. I mentioned a couple of times as we've been going through this letter that he is writing as the the elder, the patriarch of the family, this loving grandfather writing to his grandchildren and, and just encouraging them, Regarding the things, he's seen everything, he's done it all, and he's wanting to pass it on. And that's children, it is the last hour. So he's writing he's to us still in that, that fatherly tone of love. But one of the things from his perspective that we can perceive is that he's thinking about this flow of history. And norm- we know that normally human history proceeds. By these long periods that seem to slowly unfold, things just continue on and continue on and continue on until there's some sort of a crisis point. And this crisis point comes and boom! All of a sudden, there's a change. And then it kind of fits back into this routine and it goes for a while and boom! Another crisis point and it changes, right? That's kind of the way human history uh, goes. One age ends, another begins, and one you get in the midst of this age people get comfortable it's like oh this is just the way it is i mean it's even you you look at you know some of the statements the scripture gives us about skeptics oh everything proceeds just the way it always has from the beginning does it really i mean the post flood age versus the pre flood age i mean there was a catastrophe that brought a massive change. And yet, how long did it take the people after the flood to kind of get back into the, ah, you know, whatever? I mean, by all indications of Scripture, Noah was still alive when the Tower of Babel was built and was likely there saying, children, what are you doing? This is what brought judgment of the flood. <laughs> Don't bring this back. And then what happened? <laughs> judgment. They were scattered, Right? And so we see this throughout history. Get, get into this rut, this routine. Some crisis comes. There's a change. You get back into routine. Crisis comes. There's a change. And the biggest crisis or the biggest change in human history, as John was looking back over it, is this promise of Messiah. Because think about this even though you could say, wow, there there was this this age of mankind from from the fall of Adam and his expulsion from the garden until the flood And, and, you know, however many years it was between there, but there's this promise of a Redeemer, a promise of Messiah that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden. And then... With the, the new age after the flood, God continued giving more promises of Messiah. And then with the, the new age that, that occurred after the, the, the giving of uh, the covenant at Mount Sinai, God gave more promises about the Messiah. And throughout all of human history, there were these promises of Messiah. A little here and a little there and a little there, always giving this glimmer of hope of this one who is to come, the anointed one who will crush the serpent's head, will be the star from Jacob, who will, will be the, the seed of David, the root of Jesse, the, the, the king, and you know all of these different promises. And John is looking back over the scope of human history, and he said, after all of those millennia of promises, The Messiah, who had been promised for ages, had finally arrived. And after he arrived and and he fulfilled his purpose of dying on the cross as a substitute, as a sacrifice for our sins, he ascended up into heaven. But when he ascended, what did he tell his disciples? If I go away, I will come again. The angels then said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who you've seen go up from you into heaven, will also come in like manner as you... So there was this promise that this same Jesus, this same Messiah, would return. It had been thousands of years. The promise, the promise, the promise, the promise, the promise, the promise. He's here. And then he fulfilled all the things that were expected of that first coming, There was a promised second coming where he would fulfill the rest of the Old Testament prophecies with regards to the king and and vanquishing uh, the enemies and and restoring the earth to its original intended order. And John is looking back at this saying, wow, we've seen this slow progression of history until Messiah came. Messiah came. He's here. He went up. He said, I'm coming back. When's he going to come back? At any moment, he's anticipating. That's why he said it is the last hour. It's one of the things that as we look through the writings of all the apostles, they all anticipated that the Lord's return could have come in their lifetime. They were anticipating the soon return of Christ. That's what he means by it is the last hour. And if they said, it could happen in my lifetime, almost 2,000 years ago, how much more likely is it? We know he fulfilled his first promises to come. He will fulfill his next promise to return. So the Messianic age arrived. Therefore, he said, the coming of the Antichrist could also be at any moment. And and he said, look, there's already been many antichrists that have arisen. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. And so he gives instructions for us as believers with regards to this anticipated return of Christ at any moment and the rise of these antichrists who are trying to deceive us. And there are three basic things that he lays out For us here. His instructions, keep the faith, abide in the word, beware false teachers. This is what is going to hold us firm. And so we're actually going to start at the bottom of the list and work our way back a little bit. Let's look at this warning about false teachers. Start again in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So, when we look at this statement about these false teachers, these antichrists, um, he said they've already appeared as a confirmation that we are in the last hour. He addresses uh, the fact of these false teachers again down in chapter 4 and verse 1, and there he gives an admonition for us to be on guard against them. He says in, in 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So a warning. Test the spirits. Test the teachings of these prophets. Who, you know, do they measure up to their claim? But you notice he gives us the origin of these false teachers, these antichrists. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. False teachers usually begin within the circle of believers. And we find that even if you go back through the the book of Acts, you find several examples in the book of Acts as the apostles themselves are spreading the gospel to the various peoples that they are encountering and people come to faith and We have a church established, a company of believers in this city and in that city, and then from within those groups, up comes this false teacher that has to be addressed. They they rise uh, from within, often because, in fact, I'll I'll use the example of Simon the Sorcerer in the book of Acts. Such a notable example because it, it tells us, there that, you know, here was a man who had been accustomed to exercising power and authority within the people of his city. And and he saw so many people whose lives were being being changed through faith in Jesus Christ, And, and there's this huge movement, and it's exciting, and he's watching that. And then the scripture says, and he saw that the gifts of the Spirit were given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. And he comes to the apostles and he he said, basically, how much can I pay you to get this gift of the Spirit so that I can lay hands on people and I can do these miraculous things too? And they rebuked him. You don't have any clue what this is about. You have no part or parcel with us in this matter. You don't know the truth. He, He was revealed as being a false uh, believer, You know, he had apparently come in far enough that people were saying, oh, yeah, look, even Simon the sorcerer is. But he was a, a uh, deceiver and he was called out by the apostles for that. One of the things that we find in this is people can pretend for a while. You know, they may be indistinguishable from believers for a while but eventually the truth comes out he says they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they are not that, that they all are not of us so when we have this statement that you know they they would have continued with us this is not simply saying they would have stayed in fellowship with us or you know, they're, anyone that leaves our fellowship is not a believer. That's not what they're saying here. I mean, if that would be true, how many false believers have we seen come and go in our own church, right? <laughs> we, we would end up pointing the finger at everybody. So what does he mean by they? If they had been of us, they would have continued with us they went out that it might be complained that they are not all of us. Basically saying as as they started holding and proclaiming the gospel message, they've not maintained the same message. They've not held true to the message of the gospel. They've they've not continued with us in that sense um, of maintaining God's truth as delivered by him. And we'll... We'll come back to that in just a bit. But his next point after telling us to beware of false prophets is to tell us that we need to abide in the truth. Remain in the word of God. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. John is pointing out here that all believers have received the Holy Spirit. In fact, Bible says that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to God. It's part and parcel of what it means to uh, become children of God, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We receive the gift of His Spirit within us. We've been anointed by the Holy One, the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit enlightens us, teaches us, guides us. And this is for everyone. And this one of the key things here, and this goes back to the warning about these false teachers, these antichrists, because how often will these false teachers present themselves as, I have a special knowledge that you can't get without my help. God has opened my eyes to this, and if you follow me, then you will enter into this enlightened knowledge. Well, God gave us the Holy Spirit. We don't need an enlightened prophet to tell us what the truth is. We've we've been given the word of God. We've been given the spirit of God to teach us his word, his truth. Any teacher who claims to have access to a secret store of knowledge is in violation of this principle, this clear teaching, that God has given us his word, his truth. He's given us his spirit to enlighten us, to teach us. And he's given us everything that we need. All that is necessary for life and godliness is given to us in the Word of God. He continues on saying here I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Notice he says, you already know the truth. That's why I'm writing to you. I'm not giving you some new revelation of truth. I'm not falling to the same level as these false teachers who say, oh, you've got a good start, but let me give you the real truth. He says, no, you already have the truth. I want you to cling closely to this truth that God has already given because no lie, you know, he's he's really using the the law of non-contradiction here. He says, no lie is of the truth. They can't be the same thing. And so if if what these teachers are proclaiming does not conform with what God has already given in his word of truth, then they are the liars. You cannot believe them. uh, Paul wrote, "If, if anyone comes to you preaching any other gospel than that which you have already received, let him be accursed. He was very clear on that. And so here John is saying the same thing that we have the message of truth that Jesus is the Messiah that he is one with the Father. That's the message. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is what we stand on. Jesus Messiah. The Son of God. The only Son of God. One, with. I when we think about some of the statements that, that Jesus made in the Gospels that tie in with this, this message of truth that we are to uh, stand firmly on, you know, um, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. That's a pretty clear-cut claim to God. We, we look, just as an example, very briefly, at Jesus' words in what we call the Olivet Discourse, the teaching that Jesus gave to that inner circle of disciples on the Mount of Olives night that he was betrayed. So after they were done with the the Passover and the Lord's Supper in the upper room, they, they crossed over to the Garden of Gethsemane up on the Mount of Olives, and as they were walking and as they arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was teaching the disciples these things. And here are just a few of the statements that Jesus said in that Olivet Discourse to the disciples, and John was there. He was an eyewitness. He heard every one of these things. This is found in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 17. But just a few of the statements that Jesus made there. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. He changes his his uh, uh, focus here where before he was talking directly to the disciples. At this point, this is now what we call the high priestly prayer of Christ, where Christ is praying to the Father in preparation for uh, his Uh, betrayal and crucifixion and praying for these truths to be just rock solid and and for the protection of the Father on on them. So I'll uh, pick again And, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. When you look at these statements of Jesus, to be a true Christian, a true believer, it, it means that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one and only Son of God. We must believe in His full humanity and His full deity. We must believe that He is the only way of salvation. And as we saw earlier in this epistle, we must believe that our sins are forgiven on account of Jesus' blood on account of his death in our place any teaching that waters down or denies these foundational truths is antichrist as john is laying out in his epistle here any teaching that denies these things are is lying about jesus christ lying about what jesus said about himself. So coming back to John's epistle, uh, uh, in verse 24, he encourages us to to stand firm on the gospel, to keep the faith. He says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That's what we just saw on that previous slide. This is what we heard from the beginning. During Jesus' own life and ministry, he declared these things to be absolute truth about himself and about the Father, and about what we are to receive. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. God's truth does not change. It remains the same throughout the ages because God himself does not change. We believe the same gospel today that John and the other disciples received directly from Jesus himself. We can rest secure knowing that we have received the truth and that the result of receiving that truth is eternal life. When we sang that song to begin the service, ancient words, ever true." We sang, tell me the old, old story, the same old story. But think about this. How many, how many books that were written 2,000 years ago are still valid and applicable and current today? Probably none. We might say, well, some mathematics books would still be valid and applicable. All right, yeah, maybe. But this is a book like no other. Because regardless of the language, regardless of the culture, regardless of the time, it is current. It is powerful. It is living and active because it is the word of God. And it reflects everything about his character. Unchanging holy patient loving kind and yet judging sin all of these things we can count on this unchanging always true word of god the message of the gospel it changes our lives he finishes finishes off This section, verse 26 and 27, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So he gives us another reminder about these false teachers. He warns us about those who try to deceive us by twisting God's truth. Those who try to tell us that the true gospel needs to be restored. and There are groups that that is their statement. Oh, we have the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. It was never lost. It doesn't need to be restored. Or someone that, that comes to say, well, I have a fuller revelation of God. You know, that's a good starting point, but here's the rest of the story. He's told us all that is necessary for life and godliness. We're told that in His Word. Anyone who claims those things does not know the true message of God, nor God's message to save us and to change us the old old story that we sang about earlier still has the same power today it is still just as true and as valid as it was two thousand years ago and we can thank God that he gave us his written word we're able to compare this is one of the things that and we again we talked about in Sunday school uh, earlier this morning, we are able to take this book that we have in our hands today, and we compare it with the most ancient manuscripts available. And guess what we discover? It's still the same word. All these claims of "well, they've changed the Bible over the years." Show me the proof. We have thousands of manuscripts going over the. If we're just talking about the New Testament manuscripts thousands of manuscripts that cover the entire span or nearly the entire span of that 2,000-year period from the writing of these New Testament books. And we can compare those from the 2nd century and 3rd and 4th and 5th century all the way through, and we can see there is a consistency that we are still holding the same the same message today. We go back to the Old Testament. We can compare the, the Hebrew Masoretic text and the Greek Septuagint text and other ancient translations of those, and we find out, oh, it has not been changed after all. When the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were discovered, they were the, the most ancient copies of the Old Testament of some of these books that had been found to date, and skeptics and scholars were like, ha-ha, now we can show that the Bible has been changed, and guess what they discovered? It hasn't been changed at all. It still is the same. And so God has protected His Word. He has preserved it. It reflects His unchanging eternal nature. We can trust Him. We can trust His message. And we're told, abide in His Word. Beware of these false teachers that will try to change his word, that will try to shake our confidence in this book. We can also thank God that he has given us his spirit to dwell within us. He talks once again about this anointing that we've received that abides within us. The Holy Spirit has been given as a gift to us to dwell within us as believers to lead us into truth. To to help us understand this book, to confirm with our spirits that these things are so and to make the change in our lives that God intends to conform us to his image, his likeness. He abides in us. And as he says in this last statement, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Rest in him. Be secure in him. Allow him to give the confidence and encouragement and to make the changes so that we truly would be the people of God, living for him as he intended us to do, for his glory, and so that we can see his blessing in and through us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your great gift of salvation. We want to thank you for your gift of your written word that reflects all of your attributes that we can count on as the unchanging, infallible, always relevant word of God. Father, help us to stand firmly on the truths of your word, not being shaken from it by any claims of false teachers. Help us to be on guard against those who will try to twist or deny your word, even those who may rise up within the ranks of the church and try to draw people away. Lord, we pray that those <clears throat> would be revealed and that we would be on guard against those efforts. Help us to stand firmly on your word, stand firmly on the faith once delivered to the saints. We thank you for that gift that we can look back at the writings of the apostles and know that we have the same message that we believe, that we have received today. Help us to deliver it faithfully to others, that they can also receive your word by faith, receive your salvation, by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who alone is our God and Savior. We thank you for these gifts from your hand.